I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Hi, I'm Mitchell Kaplan, and I want to welcome all of you to The Literary Life. It's my pleasure to be here with Taylor Jenkins Reid. She's the author of many wonderful bestsellers, including The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, One True Loves, Maybe in Another Life, After I Do, and Forever Interrupted. Her novels have been Indie Next Picks, chosen by Book of the Month, and featured in People, Us Weekly, Entertainment Weekly, Good Morning America, and more. But it's her newest novel, Daisy Jones and the Sixth, which brings her to Miami. Did I say the sixth? It should be Daisy Jones and the Six, um, which brings her to Miami, where we're going to have a packed house tonight to hear her talk about this remarkable book. How are you, Taylor? And welcome to The Literary Life. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. This is my first time in Miami, and I was coming off the out of the airport, and I was like, oh my God, how have I never been here before? It's so beautiful. Well... So we'll start at the beginning. You'll have to come back. I know. I'm so already sold really on that. So we can really show you around. <laughs> but what's really amazing is, you know, it doesn't happen a lot in the life of a bookseller when a book all of a sudden, uh, it doesn't come out of nowhere because you've, been, you've written so many other books, but an unexpected book all of a sudden takes the country by storm. And that's what's been happening with this remarkable book. And, you know, one of the things that I really love love is the Indie Next list because it's really booksellers who have read this book. And I thought I would read uh, what this bookseller said. I'm sure you've heard it a lot and you've read it a lot. Um, this is a bookseller from Punta Gorda, Florida, not far away from here. It's uh, Serena Wyckoff. And Serena, who's a remarkable reader, says, Oh man, what a ride. I guess I'm the right demographic for this book. I love rock, and I grew up in the 70s, so I wanted to like it. Instead, I loved it. Yes, it's 
Uh, yes, it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but it's also got wonderfully complex characters that I cared about, even if I didn't like how they acted. It's a peek into the formation of a band, how the music is made, the struggles of addiction and clashing personalities, and ultimately love. The story is compiled of pieces of interviews with the band and those connected to them. A very effective technique that made the novel's pages turn even faster. Taylor Jenkins Reads, Daisy Jones and the Six is one of my favorite books of 2019 so far. How does that make you feel when you hear something like that? I mean, it feels great. And, and I think it feels... Um you know, as you said, I have I have written other books, and this is my my sixth book, um, and so I know that um, not not every book gets that level of attention, and so it feels really it's it's very it feels very very sweet. Well, the other thing that to me is so interesting is that. This is really a novel of, of 70s music. Mm-hmm. In fact, you, you created a Spotify playlist that yeah. goes with this yeah, as well. Yeah, there's a playlist on Spotify and Apple Music that is made of a lot of the songs that I was listening to as I was writing. And, and this is a podcast, so you don't really see pictures of Taylor as we're speaking. Uh, however, even though she's written seven, this is her seventh book. Uh, sixth, yeah. Sixth book, you would see a very lovely young woman sitting in front of me. <laughs> so the very first question that I have, yeah. because I'm of that generation, right. <laughs> right. so I know all these right. people and I live through it. Yeah. But you write about it with such, um, such a sense of uh, of being there. Tell me about the research process. There had to have been one. Oh, so so much. I mean. <clears throat> As as you point out, I was not alive during this time. I was about negative Robin four. In. Go ahead, yeah. Robin. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so I am writing about a period of time that I didn't live through, and and I'm also writing about um, an industry that I really didn't know that much about. I I live in Los Angeles. I went to film school. I wrote a book about Hollywood, which was The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, right. and that was a little bit more natural for me because I had worked in Hollywood and I'd studied it, and so I had some knowledge, music, I, I really didn't know. And so I just began researching and I researched from an outsider's perspective. I was looking for the pieces of information that felt really evocative to me, the artists that that called to me. As someone that didn't witness it firsthand, I think that made it a little bit easier to tell this story for a modern audience because the I think the details that I was drawn to, the people that I was drawn to, and the vibe that I was drawn to would be similar to the things that an, a, a fellow outsider might be drawn to. So I just began at the sort of epicenter of this for me, which is rumors. You know, Fleetwood Mac's rumors. I listened to it over and over and over again. I read books about it. And then it was kind of like a spiral from there. It was like, you know, the Fleetwood Mac took me to the Eagles. And then that brought me to Linda de Ronstadt and Jackson Brown. And then I, I started a whole other circle where I read Bruce Springsteen's memoir, Born to Run. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And I just didn't know how much I loved Bruce Springsteen until I read it. And I had this this like renaissance of like, oh my God, I've always loved him. Well, I come, and- well, I come across, you have a quote that says, please let us never forget <laughs> that 70s Springsteen is the heartthrob of the century. I mean, I believe it with all my heart. It's funny because I was um, reading Born to Run 
and I got, I was, I was really into it. And then I got to the middle of the book, you know, where the glossy pages are and everything. Right. And I started seeing all these photos of Bruce Springsteen in the seventies. And I had this like awakening where I was like, oh my God, Bruce Springsteen is the sexiest man of all time. And I remember a few days later, I was having brunch with my mother-in-law and, uh, I'm, you know, my daughter's there and my husband's there and I'm saying to her, I, I just had no idea that Bruce Springsteen was so sexy in the seventies. And my mother-in-law looked at me like I was the dumbest person that she had ever met in her life. And she was like, welcome to, we have all known for decades. Um, I'm, I'm definitely, um, now in I'm, your family, were, were, did you hear that music from the seventies or the sixties? No, no. So in your fact, parents didn't play it or you didn't have older brothers and sisters. No. And, and it's funny, you know, my, my, um, my dad, listened to a lot of music. He had a very eclectic taste um, and an encyclopedic knowledge, um, but but focused, I would say, mostly on like reggae and rock, but it wouldn't have been soft rock or it wouldn't have been like right. heartland rock like Spring, Springsteen. And my mom, she was pretty young when she had me and she was like, the 90s were like all about like Guns and Roses in our house, right. like to the point where we had two parakeets when I was little, whose names were Axel and Slash. <laughs> um, you know, and then when I, when as I was finding my own taste in music, it was much more like, you know, um, Green Day and Weezer in the right. '90s. And then I grew up and and it became a lot more of like Beyonce and Nicki Minaj and stuff. So I had loved Fleetwood Mac, but but I didn't. I wasn't really like tuned into it. It wasn't until I said, "Well, let me really throw myself into this space." Where did you grow up? Uh, Massachusetts. So in yeah. in Western. Um, uh... So so I grew up. I was born in Maryland, and I lived there until I was about twelve, and then we moved to Massachusetts in in like Central Mass, which uh -huh. about forty five minutes outside of Boston. So a little bit rural and. A little yeah, bit... I mean a suburb for sure, yeah. like a very um, sheltered suburb. But that was sort of the home of a lot of '70s folks too. Oh sure, you know, when sure. When you think of Arlo Guthrie and yes. all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I think I just wasn't exposed to to that music. And the other thing that I've learned about myself that I'm now trying to never do again is I think you you tell yourself things about yourself. So you, so you say like, oh, I'm not really into 70s rock, you know, because maybe there's there's something that just hasn't called to you yet. So I don't I wasn't my brain wasn't open to it. And then I said, well, I want to set a book here. So I need to become open to it. And I fell in love. And I just thought, why was I not listening to this music for as long as I was? It's crazy to me. Like, I love the Rolling Stones. Why was I not listening to them? What kind of a deep dive did you do with Fleetwood Mac? Did you get into old Fleetwood Mac? Yeah, so, the blues Fleetwood yeah. Mac of the 60s? So I listened. But for me, and this is one person's opinion, um, they really come to life for me once Buckingham Knicks joins. And I think that's because, you know, I'm not... Um, as drawn to blues typically as I am to the romantic soft rock that, right. that they became. Um, but it, Which is a conflict in the book as well, right? Absolutely. You built it into it, so yeah. you really were smart enough to understand that that could be a conflict. And that, conflict. And that genre, you know, is, is, a, um, is, a, is a polarizing thing. And if you have a song and everybody likes it, does that mean that the song is bad because everybody likes it? You know, do you have to, you know, those conflicts within the book um, really come to life in, in this issue of are they rock or are they soft but, rock? You know, I think your journey into opening your mind up to different kinds of music is not dissimilar from most 
adolescents who, mm -hmm. you know, even when I was a kid living in the late 60s, early 70s, mm -hmm. you know, it for me it was Bob Dylan, it was folk rock, and people listening to Led Zeppelin at the time, mm -hmm. that was a little bit too heavy metal and you right. know, that sort of thing. But I quickly got over that. Right. And you do get over it at some point. Well, it's funny you say Led Zeppelin because I, when I was writing this book, I, I think Led Zeppelin was a, it was the perfect example of a band that I told myself, I just, I would never like Led Zeppelin. Amazing. It's just, I, I just would never like them. It, they're, you know, it's a bunch of dudes and, and it's, you know, like proto heavy metal. And I'm just, it, that's not what I'm into. And then the other day I was reading something that mentioned the song going to California. And I just had this flashback of remembering, I was like 12 years old or 13 years old and I heard a cover of that song and I thought it was the most beautiful song I'd ever heard. And I, and I, I just loved it. And I was sitting there going, why haven't I listened to Going to California right. in, in, you know, 20 years? And so I, I listened to Led Zeppelin and I was like, oh my God, I love Led Zeppelin. Like I've been telling myself for so long, I don't like them. I do like them. So, so your arc is really an interesting one. You started off by saying that you really didn't know a lot about music. But you cl clearly love music. Yes. And well, you clearly yes. listen to it a lot. Yes. I'm it's a fan. Just, you're a fan of music. Yes. And I think that's where the passion for the research comes in. I think when I'm trying to choose a book that, that I want to write, I, I am very motivated by what's going to be fun to research. What, what will make it so that the research part of this feels exciting and thrilling and not like work? What could be more fun than researching Exactly, that? exactly. And so- And you were living in LA, so you could go to Topanga Canyon. Yeah, oh yeah, no, I mean, all, all, of, all of the places that I was writing about are places that I could go to and visit. And so it was for me about the passion of, of being a fan of something and becoming really obsessed with it in a really gratifying way. Okay, so you did, you, you picked, you picked 70s music as something you wanted to do. So then how did the, and then you started with rumors, mm -hmm. but then how did, how did the, where did the idea for the book really come from? So the, the idea for the book came first, and that was, there was a band um, that broke up about five years ago called the Civil Wars. Right. And it's, it was comprised of a man and a woman, and they were married to other people, and they clearly have this incredible creative connection. The songs that they were writing were so beautiful and so romantic and intimate. And you're listening to them, and you feel like you can, you can, you can feel this, um, this tension between them. And I loved them. I thought they were so good, and I loved everything that they did. And then just one day they broke up. And I was very curious about, you know, that's got to be really difficult to have this incredible creative connection with someone and then, you know, something happens where you're split apart and you're never going to talk again and you're never going to talk about it and you're no longer going to create art with that person. And who knows what the reason was, it, you know, that that's beyond my understanding, but they had something and they lost something, you know, in this connection. And so I wanted to write about that. I wanted to write about when two people are so creatively in sync, but just, you know, can't be in the same room together for whatever reason. And so that was the original idea. And then it was, well, when do I want to set this? When do I want to talk about this? You know, what world do I want to lose myself in? And that became 70s rock. But then you did something which I think is exactly what lifted this book 
up from most other books that might have been written about this period. And that is, you chose a technique mm -hmm. of presenting this in a way that probably, I don't, I'm just guessing, could have been pulled from the page, pulled from an interest you might have had in in uh, MTV, where mm -hmm. they would do like the, mm -hmm. you know the, the band, yeah. I forget what they even call it, behind the music, behind yeah. the music, yeah. which always I was addicted to. Yeah, it was great. Watch that, Loved and it. you did that here, where you have a, a kind of unidentified uh, uh, oral historian mm -hmm. who is going around and talking about the band. Mm -hmm. How did that come to you to do it that way? So, um, so this is the second book that I've written. That that the premise is that you're going to find the truth behind a legend from culture. So The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, the premise is that Evelyn Hugo is a movie star and she's at the end of her life and, and the world knows she's been married seven times and she's finally going to go on the record about her entire life and all of her marriages. And the what was really gratifying to me about writing that book was that by the end of it, the, you know, once it was released, there were people that thought that Evelyn Hugo might be real. And that was really exciting for me. Like when I Googled um, her name one time and the first thing the auto that auto filled in was, is Evelyn Hugo a real person? <laughs> and I was so excited by that. I think I'm trying to create fake popular culture and do it in a way where for a minute you might think that it's real. Right. So if this band was real, how would we tell this story? I think we would do it in an oral history. There have been so many great oral histories that have come out in the past couple of years. Which ones do you... Uh, the one about Saturday Night Live, I yeah, think was one of the... That was I great. mean, it was really fantastic. And it puts you right on the stage. You feel like you're behind, you know, you're backstage. You feel like you're on stage. You feel like you're with Lauren Michaels. You feel like you're there. And you feel included in the story. Um, another one that came out that I really liked was, was, um, of CAA, which is mm -hmm. one of the big agencies in Hollywood. Um, you know, and it offers an opportunity for people to go on the record about things that they might not otherwise. They may say things that are a little bit more daring or a little bit more petty. Um, they, you know, it's a fun way to learn and the truth. And you also can tell that in so many, you can create so many different voices. Exactly. Which is fun. So I, so I said, since that's the way I think this story would be told if it was nonfiction, let me present this to you, the reader, as if it's nonfiction. And you'll know that you're reading a fiction book, but it will feel as if you're reading it about a real band. And so to me, I couldn't have written this book without that. And I don't think, when, when the idea came to me of I want to write about a band, it came tied together in the oral history aspect. It was, I want to write an oral history about the rise and fall of the 70s rock band. I couldn't see another way to do it. And so it was a risk because I haven't read that many books that are fiction like this. And I didn't know <laughs> if what I was doing was completely crazy or not. Well, it clearly, clearly worked. I, I was reminded of these oral histories that I read that are a little bit older. I, there's one novel that it also reminded me of, but there's a very famous one of Andy Warhol that's mm -hmm. done as an oral history, mm -hmm. which yeah. you know gave me insight into him that I never really had. Mm -hmm. Edie Sedwick, Gene yeah, Stein, yeah. yeah. And there, there's a another, there's a, a novelist who's no longer alive, who won the Nobel Prize, Gunter Grass, who wrote a book, which I highly recommend to everybody, mm -hmm. called Group Portrait with Lady. And what it was, the way he did it is he sent a journal, it's a novel, he sends a journalist into a small German village who all, it was after World War II, mm -hmm. but 
the journalist is going to find out about this woman who's been brought up on charges leading to the death of all these Jews. Oh, interesting. And so what he does is he does, you never hear from the lady, but what you do You're is hearing- it's the group portrait. Wow. And it's sort of what you did. Yeah, in a lot, that's in that fascinating. And, and, and that's a novel. It's a novel wow, as well. Wow, that sounds but fascinating. Done, I mean, it's not obviously a rock and roll star, but, but yours had that same compulsion and propulsion, which makes you want to continue reading because you want to know what voice is just around the corner. And then which mm-hmm. narrator is the narrator who I can believe, what might be a rumor, what yeah. might be true, all that's, of that. That's what's so fun, I think, about writing something like this is that you do, every piece of information that the reader has is filtered through the character that is saying it. And every character has their own motivations and, and their own point of view that shade everything that they're saying. Well, and you again, I, I don't want to belabor the point, but this is a book that everyone out there has to pick up and read, Daisy Jones and the Six. And, and, you, and, you, and you succeeded. I mean, my favorite, my favorite little blurb somewhere that I read when I was reading about you was in describing this book. They said, it's a work of fiction so steeped in the long vanished world of 1970s Canyon Rock, you can almost smell the eucalyptus and the quaaludes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Which is really yes. a great quote, I yes, thought. Yes, but, but now let's talk a little bit about you, because you intimated a little earlier that you went to film school. So you came from West, from Massachusetts, mm-hmm. from the Boston area. Mm-hmm. Did you go to college in, in Southern California? No, nope, I went to college in Boston. I stayed in Boston. I went to Emerson College. Oh, sure. So the yeah. great Emerson College. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, and I studied... Great communications department yes, exactly. and film and all yeah. of that. Um, I studied film and television. It's, it's funny. Emerson has a writing literature and publishing program that's really great. And I knew a lot of writers in that program. And even, you know... Even then, hanging out with a bunch of people that were saying I want to be a writer, I didn't. It still didn't occur to me that that's what I wanted to do. I was, right. I knew I wanted to do something in storytelling. I I had a really hard time pinning it down, and then so you went to L.A. to think you were going to do it through film, right? Exactly. I and I had always planned to go to Los Angeles. Even going to college was a step on the journey of getting to L.A., and I always knew that. So I find it incredibly ironic that you went to L.A. to become someone involved in film and television, then you became a writer, and now you're involved in film and television. (laughs) Because we all know that um, Reese Witherspoon did something very special with this book. Why don't you tell us what she She did? She bought it, which which (laughs) was great. I mean, that that is one of those things where, um, you know, you you write a book and you hope someone might make it into a TV show. And then, um, you know, I get an email and it says Reese Witherspoon wants to buy this. And I was completely floored. I mean, I have so much respect for her as, as an artist in her own right and as a producer. And so, um, I'm very, very excited. And, you know, I have worked in Hollywood and I do know how these things go. And I know that a lot of times you can have something optioned and nothing happens. Um, so it's very exciting that, but they already got an order for it's, it. She's right? already sold it, which is which is all you know. It is made all the sweeter because um, I know that doesn't always happen. Are they writing it now? They're is writing it? it right now. Fantastic. Yeah. So when did the when did you know you were a writer? When did that happen? It was when I started writing by accident. I sort of um, I was writing about things that had happened to me, and I I I sent an email to a bunch of my friends about something that happened to me. Just like I think it was a funny story. And then um, 
and people started writing back, you know, this is, this is really good. You should be a writer. And so I said, wow. Okay. So I started writing more things that had happened to me. And then, um, and then I ran out of interesting things that had happened to me. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, you know, I've reached the end of this road. Um, and so that's when I decided to try fiction. But what's funny is I, um, I said, well, I'm going to write a short story, but, but I, I didn't know what I was doing. And I just sort of started and I was about not even halfway done with the story as I saw it. And I had like four, I had like 20,000 words and I was thinking, okay, this is longer than a short story. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I, I kind of had put it aside and then I met this guy and, um, we, you know, he, he turned out to be my husband and he, yeah, just some guy. (laughs) And he was a writer. He was a TV writer. And he so boldly was saying, you know, well, I know what I'm going to be and I'm going to be a writer. And, and I very shyly was like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I might be a writer too. I'm not sure. And I said, will you, um, will you read this? What's interesting is you didn't try film or television writing. I you knew it was going to be a novel. I tried a novel. Right. I think I was really intimidated by film and television. Because you and were I felt, Yeah, and I felt like I could be myself in, in prose. Um, and so I, I showed it to him. I showed him this, this, you know, little piece of something. And I don't know, it took him like a day to read it or something. And then he came to my house after work and he's got this look on his face. And I'm like, did you read it? Did you read it? What do you think? And I honestly think what he said at that moment changed my life. I really do. Because what he said was, I'm so embarrassed that I've been going around telling you I'm a writer. You're a writer. Wow. And I felt like there was this validation yes but also this power that i felt that i it was like i wanted to feel like i could be good and here was this person whose opinion i respected so much and and he thought i wasn't just good but he thought i had the potential to be great and he, he you know he said you have to finish this book and and i did um did and that become your first published novel? It became the the book that i got an agent off of wow. and that started my process and then we you know we we Submitted that book to publishers, and we got a lot of. I'm not going to publish this one, but what else do you have? Yeah, no, was the, and great. that and that was the beginning of it. And you were young. I was. was. How old were you when you started? I when I got when I finished that book, I it was um, I know exactly it was f- six days after I turned 25. Wow. That was the first, that was one, because it was, it was New Year's Eve. And I remember I had made a pact to myself that I would finish the book by the end of the year. And so, and I had a New Year's Eve party to go to. And it was literally like. So you were born on the 24th. The 20, yeah. Oh, wait, I just did the math wrong and I did it by Christmas. No, so it was 11 days. It was 11, 11 days. days. I'm born on December 20th. Um, my daughter was born on December 20th Oh, really? As well. Oh, man, She's that's great. She's 29 now. Okay, but. yeah. Um, I, I finished that book like. You know, at eleven fifty-five, I shut my computer. I put on, you know, my my party dress, and I went out and I celebrated. That's it was so great. Cool. Yeah. Well, it's been really, really a pleasure having you with oh, us. Oh, thank and, you for having me. You know, I just wish you 
the most success with this book. It deserves everything. You know, uh, earlier you met Michelle, who's been working at the bookshop forever, mm -hmm. and she also is of that generation. And Michelle is very particular in terms of what she likes, and she doesn't come to a lot of readings, but she was here, and she's <laughs> going to be here for the reading. And you have, I just saw you walk through the store, and there are people hugging you and grabbing you, and you've, you've touched a nerve in so many different people of so many different ages as well. Thank you. I, that is why I write. And so that feels great to know. Thank you very much. Well, enjoy the ride. And <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I hope to see you back here in Miami again. Oh, you can count on it. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to The Literary Life. And I've had been talking to Taylor Jenkins Reid. Daisy Jones and the Six is her book. And you better go out and buy it right now. I hope you like what you heard and that you'll please share your review on Apple Podcasts and also give me your feedback at Books and Books on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to my weekly conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Revolver.com. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. Thanks for joining The Literary Life. <laughs>